When we met last week, we began looking at this passage with this understanding. We are identified by virtue of human generation, by our birth, as being all related to the one head of the human race whose name was Adam. And because of Adam, and because of his willful disobedience to the one restriction that God had placed upon him, do not partake of the fruit of the knowledge, of of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's in the center of the garden. That is the only restriction you have, and as we know, Eve was deceived by Satan's confrontation with her, and she then offers to Adam, who by a deliberate act takes the fruit that was forbidden and ate of it, and as a result, instantly began the process of physical death and experienced spiritual death, which was now a separation of himself from the life of God himself, and then, ultimately, if he did not pass from death into life through the grace of God and by belief, through faith, then he would have passed into eternity in hell, but through faith would have a home in heaven ultimately with God. Our identification with Adam has done something to every one of us. It has brought us to the place where we have become involved in sin. You'll notice what it says in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. It is not, and I, I reiterate this, it is not speaking about individual acts of sin that we have committed when it talks that all have sinned. It is speaking about the fact that we, by virtue of our identification with Adam, And you remember last week we introduced the two different concepts of either the federal head or the seminal head. Federal being he as our representative, the seminal head being that we, as in in seed form, were in Adam and participated in that sin. Theologians have differences of opinion on exactly how that relationship takes place. But the bottom line is still the same. Because of Adam's sin, we too sinned. And we are now guilty of sin, having a nature of sin, which will ultimately make itself known through behavior and through actions of sin. So that our identification with Adam is what causes physical death, spiritual death, and ultimately eternal death. We found that that identification, which brings on death to mankind not only introduces the reality of death to our existence, but it also then takes us to a place of judgment and condemnation. If you'll notice down there in verse uh, 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came 
from many offenses resulted in justification, for by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. So what Paul has indicated to us in this passage is this. Our identification with Adam has plunged us into sin, death, judgment, and condemnation. And the reality of that relationship is in each one of us and will remain there until we die and it will then make itself known by the destiny to which we find ourselves taken or something else happens to change that. Sometimes people are of the opinion that if they do enough good works, if they are perhaps religious enough, if they are pleasing to God in the way they behave, and they find that they do more things that are good than things that are bad, then they will pass into heaven. Uh, To be honest with you today, and, and this is so sad, there are churches today who are preaching that, that declare if you just are good enough God would never send you to hell because he is a loving God. And and I agree with that completely in the last part. He is a loving God. But he is a holy God who is also just and a God of judgment and a God who cannot violate his own holiness. So how does he bring together his love for fallen mankind and the reality of having our sins paid for if he is going to allow us into his heaven? And the answer is very simple. He sent a substitute to die in our place, to take the punishment of our sins, so that when we arrive at a new origin of hope, we understand that that origin of hope isn't based upon us. It's not anything you and I can do. It's not any merit we can gain before God. It is simply a transfer of identification so that we move from being identified with Adam to being identified with Christ. And so the writer of the Scriptures tells us there in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, which uh, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Now, here is what the, the whole issue is moving toward. You're identified with Adam simply by virtue of your birth. It means you are in a lost state. From the moment you are conceived. It's why David said in Psalm 51, In sin my mother conceived me. Which, by the way, tells you when human life begins too. It's at the moment of conception. That's when human life begins. And at that moment, we manifest through the development of our lives the, the absolute presence of sin within us. That presence of sin condemns. But now, Christ comes and offers a free 
gift. And the free gift comes with a variety of different characteristics, one of which is that it is absolutely certain to be applied to those who by faith will come to Christ and trust in him as their personal savior. Here, here is the, the, the issue that's at hand. When Christ offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins, the love of God was demonstrated as clearly as could ever be demonstrated. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we begin to find an answer to that question, how can God be a loving God and still be just to forgive sinful people without just overlooking their sin, which would be a violation of his own holiness. And so what he has done is, he allowed a substitute to die in our place, the substitutionary atonement is what it's often referred to as, Christ dying in our place so that the penalty of our sins could be forgiven and we could be given freely the gift of life. Now, in that death, something happened for all mankind. And we finished talking about this last week when we finished up because you you don't want to end a sermon with everybody going to hell. (laughs) Do, Do you follow what I'm saying? Because that doesn't really communicate the, the final truth, which is people without Christ are going to die, are going to go to hell, but it's not necessary. What had happened at the fall, according to the scriptures, is that an alienation took place between God and men. And the best way I know to illustrate it is that man, because of his sin... In Adam, and because of our identification with Adam, did exactly the same thing, turned in rebellion against God. We were at, the way the King James expresses it, we were at enmity with God. And a holy God, by virtue of our sin, turns away from man. So that now you have this relationship of alienation rather than a love union with our creator, now he has been violated by our sin. We have become enemies because of our sin and rebellion against him. But when Christ died on the cross, without man doing anything, part of that equation changed. And it's a good thing it did. Because it's the only way that we can have any hope When Christ took the penalty of our sins, an alienated God could turn favorably now toward man. And he could look look upon us with favor. There are some, again, some theological terms. Now, if you carry a New International Version, um, which which I think is, is very good, But there are some things in it that that to me are a little bit of a hindrance. Sometimes it doesn't use some of the theological terms that are really important for us to understand. It kind of explains them, which which I guess is okay, as long as you understand what they are. Um, 
a propitiation took place. The Bible uses the term propitiation, which means simply this. The righteous, holy demands of God were completely satisfied in the sacrifice of Christ. Mankind's sin was paid for in the person of Christ. Now, don't anybody get ahead of me here. Because that does not imply that the benefits of Christ's death are freely bestowed on all mankind. It means that now God can accept mankind if we come on his terms. So God's righteousness is satisfied. Propitiation. Another word is reconciled. But God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. For illustration, at the moment Christ paid the penalty, and by the way, we we sang just a few moments ago about the veil being rent, uh, being torn from the top to the bottom. The sacrifice of Christ meant that the holiest of holies in which the presence of God was manifest that was behind a curtain that could only be approached once a year by a priest who offered the right sacrifice for himself and for the people could enter into the holiest of holies and sprinkle the blood on the the altar and then he would withdraw and now that would satisfy as far as a covering for sins the righteous demands of God until the sacrifice of Christ when the veil that separated men from God's presence was ripped in half and men now could come right into the presence of God because of that sacrifice of Christ. What it meant was God has now turned, having been propitiated... He turns in reconciliation to man so that now he can look favorably upon mankind. And if you'll recall, one of the implications of that helps us understand why God can be kind and generous and even favorable in some regards to all mankind. It's why People who are often deeply involved in sin are often blessed with many, many good things in life. Did you ever wonder why is it that it seems like sometimes the wicked prosper? You remember how the psalmist wrote about that. Why is it that the wicked prosper? Well, it's because God has been favorably turned. And Oh, by the way, you might say, well, wait a minute, that took place before Christ was crucified. Did any of you think of that? Did I should have kept my mouth shut then. All right? No, but if you did think about that, it's because, do you remember from God's point of view, Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. Do you understand? We are limited by the realm of time. We have a linear experience, but God does not have that, so the coming sacrifice of Christ could allow him to be favorably inclined even toward wicked, sinful people while they are here on earth. It does not mean that they have forgiveness of sins or that they have eternal life. It means that God has been satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ so he can treat kindly all mankind, and he does. 
the scriptures talk about the rain falling on the, the farmer who is the sinner and, and the, the saint. And, and you have the sun shining on both. And, and you have good things happening in both. And you have bad things because of the presence of sin. And so we, we have this dichotomy that exists that God wants dealt with on a personal level. So that when people realize that the sacrifice for their sin has been fully offered through Christ, now what happens to this alienated man if through repentance, turning away from his sin, he turns toward God through Christ, man can be reconciled to God. It's why Paul said, be ye reconciled to God. You can turn favorably, and when you do, it is absolutely certain that God will accept you through Christ. At that moment... When by faith you accept the death of Christ, his burial, and you believe in his resurrection, that God raised him from the dead, and you put your trust in him, not in your good works, not in the nice things you do to your neighbors, not in your baptism, not in your giving to the church, not in any thing that you do, but you turn and cast yourself upon Christ and his finished work, and you receive him through faith. By grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. This gift is absolutely certain. He that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Is that not good news? Well, let's hear about it. Okay, a bunch of stuffy Baptists. <laughs> I know, we are, we are very reserved. But listen, these are things for which we should become excited. You, you think about the, the implications of this. I couldn't live good enough to go to heaven. <laughs> now I get an amen. <laughs> Neither could you. Amen. <laughs> we, we can't. We, we don't have the, the stuff. And nothing that we can do can atone for our sins, but Christ's death did. And when you accept Christ as your Savior, you pass from the realm of death into life. And the body still dies because it is connected with Adam, but something happens spiritually that changes. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, God has made alive through Christ. And we pass spiritually now into a place where we are in a relationship with our God. We are given spiritual life so that in the final wash, when death overtakes, and it's going to, the spirit which has been given life now goes to the presence of God for all eternity. And that great question that Dr. Kennedy used to use down at uh, Coral Ridge, uh, when, when he'd say, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you tell him? There is only one answer. I am identified with Jesus Christ 
through faith in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And it's because I am now in Christ. At the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit does a work that brings not only life to us, but it places us into the body of Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Guess what just happened? I left my identification with Adam, and I am now identified with Christ. Now let me ask you, did any of the good stuff that I did determine which one I was identified with? No. Did any of the bad stuff that I did determine which one I'm identified with? No! 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 The bad stuff I did is because I'm identified with Adam. It didn't identify me with Adam when I did bad. I was already identified with him. I was in Adam, so I did bad stuff. So it doesn't matter whether I was good or bad. Why is that important to understand? What's what's the importance of that? Here's the thing. We have no problem committing a murderer to hell, do we? But sometimes people have the idea, well, you know what? My good neighbor, they are just the nicest people. When, when we had a, a flood in our house, they let us come and stay with them. And, and when, I, when I was sick, I couldn't get the lawn mowed, and they mowed the lawn for me. And every Sunday morning, they went to church, and they did all these good things and all of that. And what conclusion does that lead you to if you believe it's based upon your works that, that determine your eternal destiny? That implies you're going to go to heaven, right? Not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It is not through anything we do. It's through whom we are identified with. Bad English. Good theology. And when you accept that free gift, the grace that that brings is absolutely extravagant. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, listen, much more the grace of God And the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. We are probably getting very close to the uh, fire season. Uh, We're going to have uh, brush fires. We've already had a couple of them uh, here in South Florida. There are going to be... probably devastating fires that are going to take place out on the west coast because of the drought that they're having and every year there are these devastating fires and the thing that creates the problems there's so much fuel for the fires to consume and the air is so dry and the winds are so strong that the fire is pushed along and it continues to consume and to burn. And then, 
a merciful God sends a torrential rain that does the most incredible thing. It puts out the fire. The fire is extinguished because of the rain. And the firefighters who have been hoping, some perhaps praying, that the rains would come, finally arrive, and they put out the fire. But they don't just put out the fire. The rains now wash everything down and they provide the nourishment that is necessary, the, the fluid that is necessary for new life to spring up. And that's what the grace of God is like. When we are accepting Christ as our Savior and His grace is extended to us, the free gift of His grace, what happens is the fire's quenched. We are not doomed to the lake of fire. But something else much, much more meaningful perhaps at this point in time to us is that beyond the fire being quenched, we are also given a new standing in Christ. We are given a new hope. And ultimately, we have new life in heaven with God for all eternity. That's the abundance of grace. Listen, you're not just innocent when you trust Christ. You are righteous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, you know, I ought to sell tickets for this. <laughs> All right. Now, and I know that that's manipulative to, to do something like that. But the reason I, I would like you to respond, and the reason, even if you don't respond verbally, to at least respond within your heart and understand this, that... God will never evaluate you again based upon your sin, your weakness, your failures. There will be consequences in this life. Don't anybody misunderstand me. Sin still brings consequences in this life. But in our relationship to God, I am accepted in the beloved because I am completely clothed in his righteousness. And when the Father... (sighs) Anthropomorphism. Standing before God in judgment, the Lord looks at me, why should I let you into my heaven? I could very simply say, because I am absolutely righteous. Do you get that? It's not me. I'm in your son. He was absolutely perfect and righteous, and my standing before you has depended upon the reality of who he is, and I am in him, therefore I am completely accepted. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? Does it help you understand why the murderer can go to heaven? And the good person can go to hell? 
We use the word good simply because they relate well to us, but they're not in a right relationship with God. And the guy that's done all of these miserable, horrible things has done horrible damage and hurt to mankind. But when he comes to Christ, the death of Christ is so abundant and can save any sin to the point where it doesn't matter how bad you've been. You stand in righteousness before God. And let me tell you this. If you think for a moment that it has anything to do with behaving good as opposed to being identified with Christ, do you believe that it is sin to murder? Come on. Do you believe it is sin to commit adultery? Do you believe it is sin to covet? Okay. Let's keep it straight. Oh, murder, adultery, those are the horrible sins. Coveting? I'd really like my neighbor's car. He's got a beautiful Porsche. Oh, six... Wait, I just put it in reverse. (laughs) Six speeds forward, big engine. Oh, I really wish I had that. You're guilty of sin. Just as much as a murderer in the eyes of a holy God. The consequences are significantly different. That's what we get confused. You know what? I've, I've blown off the outline. Do you all understand that? The gift must be received. Go back. Look look here at verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. You have to make a a decision. You have to choose. But I thought God was sovereign. He is. Well, then how come I have to choose? Because he said you do. They're not exclusive. A sovereign God extends a call to you to put his... Put your trust in Christ as your Savior. And when you choose to receive him, you pass from death into life. And you're given forgiveness of sins and eternal life as a hope. Not hope, 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 hope. I know it's true. I'm just waiting for it to come. That's the hope we have. It's a settled assurance. So that now what we can determine is this. God is fair. He is absolutely fair. By nature and by choice, we are all identified with Adam, and what Adam imparts, we have. But God's grace is greater than our sin. Instead of condemnation, he offers life to all who will be identified with his son through faith. Will you be identified with his son? Somebody might say something like this, and I hope that after this you would understand you can never say anything like this. My sin is too great. It wasn't too great for Moses the murderer. 
You remember Moses? Moses killed a guy. He murdered a man. It wasn't too great for David, the adulterer and murderer. It wasn't too great for Paul, the persecutor of the church. Do you think for a moment it's going to be too great for you? Your sin, too great that God cannot extend his abundant grace if you will trust him. Will you trust him today? Please, trust him today. Father, thank you that we could spend time in this very difficult portion of your word, and yet one that's so simple. Father, we realize that by our natural birth we're identified with Adam. But by rebirth we become identified with Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that there would not be a person in this auditorium who have not received Christ as their Savior. Father, now as we turn and recognize the great sacrifice that was offered on our behalf for the payment of our sin and for the extension of that free gift of grace, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds so that in all things Jesus Christ would receive the glory. In his name we pray. Amen.